Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I'm Marshall. That's Nick. You can find us at the HyperClean Specialist Group on Facebook. Best way to interact there. Nick, I don't know about you, but if you're the type of guy that likes to rewind themselves back in the day, see how it could be former life, things you might have drank, things you might have ate back in the day, getting them on a newer scale. Has this ever been you? You ever gone back to the Seagram's life back in the day? Now there's no seven and seven, (laughs) seven and seven. No, I haven't. uh, I haven't been on the Seagram's train for quite a few years. I don't think. Yeah, well, these showed up in my house this weekend. I went, oh, okay, sure. I guess I'll try it. Yeah, seems like the move. Escapes, cocktail, strawberry margarita. Sure to give you a headache afterwards, no doubt. You ain't ain't lying. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be rough. All right, you buying or selling? I'm going to buy this week. Uh, Been buying a few weeks in a row here, I think, but I always love conversations with people that, uh, you know, lead to you to think about things a little differently. I shared this with you. I think it was last Friday, but I want to bring it here. A very, very high ranking guy at a PPF company said that they're struggling with how to certify people to install PPF. And he gave me the ultimate, what he's struggling with. He goes, you know, he goes, the thing about certifications in our industry and the thing about certifications as a whole, he goes, nobody flunks. He's like, so if nobody flunks, is it a real certification? He goes, because, you know, if you go to college, somebody fails chemistry class. That's kind of what keeps it honest. Thought it was an interesting perspective. I got off the phone, sat around for like 20 minutes. I called you. I go, I just found it interesting. Very high decision maker at a PPF company. They're struggling with what's going on. Uh, in the training part. Uh, Again, this isn't picking on anything. I thought it was an interesting way of looking at things. And that's why I'm going to buy is not because I agree or disagree. But when you talk to people that are thinking through things, and are real decision makers, it's interesting to hear their point of view, whether it's the same as yours or not. But I thought it was interesting is, is a certification legit, if nobody fails? Hmm. It's a good question. It's a good question. Everybody, if everybody passes the class, is it a class? Mm, I, I had never thought tutorial. of it that way. Yeah, I've never looked at it that way. And what I'm buying is just somebody, you know, thinking outside the box and giving you a different perspective on things I think can be valuable. So that's what I'm buying this week. Mm, love it. All right. Uh, since last week, I know I was selling you. This week, I'm going to sell something you also have sold at, for a little different reason. Um, I'm selling milk. I get it. You had to sell it at one point in time. I had to stop drinking milk just out of, uh, things that I could do to reduce cholesterol type of stuff. Plus I just, sometimes your my body just, I just didn't like the way I felt after drinking milk. So I switched to almond milk. Well, Saturday morning, wake up, wife's gone for a little bit. Got to feed breakfast to the kid. Hey, what do you want? Want cereal? Doesn't have regular milk. What's he going to do? I said, well, I got almond milk right here. Yeah, but is it milk? Listen, do you understand where milk comes from? This one's not dairy. This one is just out of an almond. Long story short, 
he puts it in a cereal, it's fucking frosted flakes. He's never going to know the difference. Right. Yeah. And I go, wow, I guess as a family, we've officially sold milk then. Why do we need milk? We don't need milk. I go, golly. And I tried to explain to the kid. I go, you imagine how difficult it is to get milk from a cow? I mean, does anybody ever go through this train of thought process? What all it takes to get it to you drinking it in your cereal? Like, holy shit. And then I go, could you imagine what it was like back in the day when they would roll around in these little like refrigerated carts and they would have an actual milkman that would bring it in a jar and you're yeah. drinking milk raw milk fat, raw yeah. milk fat like this stuff like oh Here, like, here's a here's the thing it's making a comeback raw Is milk it really oh yeah big raw milk crowd out there now yeah because the whole argument is things like almond milk or heavily heavily pasteurized milk are not you know it's a lot of oil it's not a lot of natural and as we get further away from natural i think we're kind of learning that maybe natural is the way to go uh but yeah man i mean it's the whole the whole food chain, if you really think about it, has been the safest it's ever been in the history of man, yet, you know, disease is up, stuff is up, you know, so we get food, we can get tomatoes in November now, but, you know, what's the give and Did take we? on this? <laughs> yeah, do you? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, I had to sell milk, but we got a lot of milk. Look, my my daughter drinks a lot of milk, you know, she's at that age where milk is a positive, but yeah. I took a sip of it not too long ago and I'm like, how can anybody drink this? Like, how can anybody drink? I cannot. And my family loves milk. I mean, my, you go to my, like my dad, my mom, my sister, all my blood relatives love milk. I can't stand it and really couldn't stand it even when I was younger, but like ate it on my cereal, stuff like that. Then I started to learn, uh Oh, I think I know I don't like it. Cause I don't feel good <laughs> when I drink it. Man, you know what? Surprisingly, I might be liking. Please don't hold me to it. But this little Seagram's escapes kind of growing on me. Dude, we knew you would like it. There's nobody, nobody in the crowd didn't think you'd like it. Mm. Once it said like berry blast, mm. you know, Seagram's, we were like, yeah, Marty's going to like it. I mean, mm. you want to talk about obvious. No kidding. I knew you would like it. Fits All right, right so with a you. Quick, a quick buy, though. Quick buy just because it's a fun little update out of the sale that I had months ago of Jackson, Mississippi, come to find out there is one really great guy that is in Jackson, Mississippi. And he apparently filled out all the paperwork, did everything for my brother-in-law. And there was an infinity recall on transmissions. My brother-in-law got a check from infinity to pay for all of his transmission fix. So I'm buying infinity. Like, out of all the bullshit that we give the brands and the dealerships and all the bullshit that's rightfully so when they do something right. And like, yeah, I think the federal government probably stepped in and said, you're going to have to cut this check would be my guess. But yeah, I mean, it counts. Still counts. <laughs> Still counts. <laughs> if the so, FBI knocks your door down and makes you do the right thing, is it doing the right thing? I don't know. So I'm, I'm buying infinity. Cause I just thought it was cool. Like, yeah, that's a great story. And that guy took care of him. It was a great job. So, Here's what's interesting, I think, as many of us, as we roll around, uh, you know, me here in Tulsa, you in Vegas, your, your competitive driving skills are probably a lot better than mine, as I'm that dude that's usually pretty relaxed and chill, and I don't roll around too much. But, you know, the other day, you'd be surprised. There was this little souped-up little rice burner next to me. Got the kid in the back. I don't think you're allowed to say seat. that anymore. 
Are you not allowed to? You can't say it anymore. That's what they are. Hey, you, hey, you might, you might get kicked off the internet for that. So you might want to just say a Japanese import, dude. Okay, I'm selling Aunt Jemima because apparently Aunt Jemima did get sold. I remember hearing about that, but the other day we were picking up. I needed some, <laughs> some pancake mix. You know, Aunt Jemima's gone, and now it's just something mill company. Wow, really? I don't know. Yeah. That sucks. It does suck. So rice burners. So we're yeah. sitting next to this rice burner, and he's revving, right? You can hear, you can hear his little rice burner muffler. You know, kids like, wow, wow, cool. And I'm like, yeah, you want to see this though? You want to see this? All right, I got a standard. I can got a got an air intake. I can move just a little, you know. I can maybe give this guy a run to the the stoplight. Is that you? Are you are you that guy? Are you are you? Come on, let's no, go go I'm, go. I'm more sleeper guy. It's way better when you're not the dick at the light, but you have a lot of power in your car. You know, that's that's more my move. But what? no, I. Come on, you ever, you ever sometimes like, oh, no, dude, let's roll. I never did. Oh, no, like, no, no. You're ready I, to roll. I, I have rolled, but I'm not the idiot Revan. Like those guys, they always get smoked. I mean, we, we drive around a lot of customers' cars in their collections. So there'll be times like you'll sit at a light, we'll be driving a Ferrari around just because it doesn't get driven. And people act nuts, like crazy, rev their engine. I'm like, dude, do you realize like this isn't, this isn't the same? Your infinity in this are not like this isn't there's a reason there's weight classes, right? Like <laughs> there's a reason the 150 pounders don't fight the 205ers. At the end of the day, man, this this isn't the same thing. But no, I I've always enjoyed um being on a road trip or something, and you got that person that's on the road trip and you're passing them, they're passing oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's just fun entertainment, but when I go fast, I just go fast because I like to go fast. I don't really give a shit what everybody else is doing on the road. All right. So you're not, you, you don't get annoyed by that dude that then like passes you when you get over. I get annoyed no, by that. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. I can get annoyed by certain people. What, the guys I can't stand are the ones that aren't consistent. If you're on a road trip to go fast, stop with the whole, you know, I went 70 here and I went 80 here. I hate the guys with no consistency. I'm going fast the whole time because I'm trying to get to LA or I'm trying to get wherever I'm going. Right. It's the guys that seem to have a struggle with keeping the pedal consistent or keeping the cruise control system, uh, consistent. Those are the guys that I have a problem with. They were going 60 back there. Now they're going 90. It's like, dude, just get a grip, just get in the left lane. And if everybody did it the right way, nobody'd be passing anybody. We'd get there a lot faster. Uh, all right. So you're merging on. And there's that asshole. And for me the other day, no joke, this was an asshole in a Dodge truck that would not let me in. And I'm merging. I'm trying to merge. There's Your Dodge traffic. and his Dodge. I get it, right? <laughs> so I have to slam on the brakes because he's not letting me in because he's being a competitive asshole in a, in a sense. Yeah. You ever, I, I get it though, right? Sometimes it's just fun to be that way. Sometimes in competition, you're actually competing against somebody else to not have them. Yeah. The, mer so. the, mer the merging thing is so strange because I can't figure out why so many people are in the right lane when they have three exits to go. You know what I mean? It's like, why are you in the right lane at all? Like, let's say you're on a three lane highway, little tip for everybody. If you're not having to get off at the next exit, you should be in the middle or the left lane, not in the right lane. When everybody's merging from two exits away from your exit. Like to me, it's just bizarre, but I, I just have a driving trick. Like I look way back and just try to gauge how fast I need to go down this ramp. 
to get on now traffic is different but if i have any running room at all i'm gonna get to 80 on the ramp and at that i'm just trying to avoid what you're talking about which is some jerk that doesn't know what he's doing or he's just being a jerk to be a jerk but i always think to myself dude you're in the right lane so speaking of uh speaking of the dodge truck and ramming up there was (laughs) there's a, a meme that somebody sent me because we got the dodge truck you know fun discussion oh it was alex who comes on the pub uh, sent it. I sent it over to Dustin Stanley. That was hilarious, and it's it's got Superman right behind Batman. It's like, <laughs> yeah, when you're in traffic going 60 over, and, you know, there's still random Dodge truck guy. Like, Dude, it always nuts. happens. It always happens. Hey, so curious competition overall, though. You know, you've gotten into different things in your life. What's been, do you think, the biggest competitive moment? If you could think of a moment where you knew that you were competing. Listen, you were putting a lot out on the table. Maybe you weren't, maybe it didn't have to be financially. It could have been time, could have been energy. It could have been your body. It could have been athleticism, could have been business. For me, one of my favorite competitive times was the first time I got to step onto the floor of Mobile Tech Expo. You know, I was trying to launch the brand out into the national realm. And and I shared a booth with DRC 1000 and Sonax. And, you know, had a little crew up there trying to see if little company out of Tulsa, Oklahoma could be out on that main stage where all the biggest brands in the country of car care are slinging product, talking to people and seeing if I could go out and sell a polisher. And hey, we did. We, we, we made a sale. And, you know, like that feeling of just being in the competition arena just getting to quote unquote perform or, you know, you know, that maybe you're the Olympic athlete that just got to make the team and you're going to be that low rung team member, but at least you still got to be out competing at that level. Man, that for me was one of the biggest competitive highlights for myself. What about you? Yeah, I think probably around like 2012, 2013, just getting out of the recession. You know, I took a ton of risk from 08 to 2011 put a lot of I mean I had everything in my life on the line from from real estate I had invested in and business of VR I think honestly it wasn't one thing it was just getting to a point where I didn't have to sweat what was going on that's where I felt like for me the competition I mean it was a four-year period in my life where things were just anything goes wrong it was a it was a crisis right and I think that's what people don't think about is, is like, you know, getting through that moment to where I could get to a place of somewhat comfort was probably the biggest accomplishment in my career to date. Uh, you know, investing in hyperclean and and having VR grow, that stuff is great. But when you really had to get through the fuzzy times where it's like, Hey dude, something goes wrong an engine goes down on one of my trucks or something like, like anything happens here. And I'm on the brink of having to make some really tough decisions in my life. That was probably the biggest thing for me was about 12, 13, getting to a place where I didn't think my life was going to end if something went bad, you know, because it felt like that, you know, you really put a lot on the line financially or through your business. There can be a lot on the line of, Hey man, I could be headed to bankruptcy court. One little thing goes wrong here. And this whole thing could just come down and it was a lot of risk. And that's why I always tell people business ownership's not for everybody. 
anybody can own their job. But when you talk about owning a business and you have to put real big boy money on the line, because that's what it takes. I mean, you are you and I learned that at HyperClean. You know, 10 grand isn't what it used to be. 30 grand isn't what it used to be. 50 grand isn't what it used to be. Uh, that's probably the biggest breakthrough for me. That was that was the time the competitive petter in me felt like, okay, these last four years of decisions were not a screw up. I knew what I was talking about. It was just tougher than I thought. So that'd be for me. Inside of detailing, though, we really don't like overall, the overall industry doesn't like the word competition. And we, we really try and steer away from it there's so many of us that we complain about our competitors and we try. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think they steer away from it. See, so you just said it, the complaints about competitors. What it is, is let's rephrase that. Let's, let's look at it from this angle. I think this is what you mean. We don't shy away from competition. We bitch about competition. So many guys that talk to me and you, man, what do they tell them? What do they start the conversation with when they get our phone number? Well, this guy down the street, you know, he's doing $250 details. I mean, you remember that episode. For those that don't remember at the beginning of Marty and I's little journey here on the podcast world, we legitimately had a gentleman that got on here and complained that somebody was ruining his town by doing $250 details. There's not too many people listening to this that aren't going, what are you saying? No, no, you can go find that in the archive somewhere. And I remember having to look at him and saying, dude, we got guys doing $20 details here like you have a perspective problem so marty don't you think it's more it's not that people shy away from competitive competition it's that they bitch about competition about what everyone else is doing and how that's screwing something up okay they shy away from being competitive and bitch about competition yeah. It's like, oh, well, this guy down the street is is doing this and this and this. And, you know, I'm going to kind of say something here that's going to surprise people. We actually don't have enough detailers in the United States. We've got 350 plus million people. We got millions of cars on the road. If all the cars on the road got detailed, we don't have enough detailers to service them all. So we don't really have a competition problem we have a selling people on using detailing problem and so when people bitch about their competition i always laugh because i go why are you paying attention to them there's so many millions of cars in your city you know if you got a, a even a mid-sized town i mean tulsa has what more than a half a million people you you got let's just say on the low end 300 to 400,000 cars in tulsa alone you don't have enough detailers that you know to to detail those cars so that's the funny thing about detailing and competition is like you and I see it in the groups. We see it in PPF groups. We see it in tent groups. We see it in every group. They're just, they're just convinced that what's ruining the industry is other detailers. All right. I'm glad you said that because that's where I wanted to go next. What let's, let's both throw our thoughts out. What do you think is the cause of that? Why do detailers constantly began to think of my process is really what defines me and the process that they do over there? Well, they're not as good because they're the guy that does the X, Y, and Z. And I'm the guy yep. that does this because, well, that's what the company that I bought from tells me how to do or the video I watched yeah. or whoever yep. I thought. Like, 
there becomes this, well, this is the way I do it. And I'm better than that guy over there. He does this, this, and this. Yep. It's a great point. Why? Your, well, your process is about 10% of what matters in your company. Yeah. Guys don't want to hear it because they got so much pride wrapped up in, I went to these 52 trainings. I know how to cut paint. Look, man, with the DA polisher, largely most people can one step a car and make it look pretty good. I'm not saying everybody, I understand that, but we've overvalued skill set and undervalued business acumen and what it means. Like, let me give an example from HyperClean so people don't think we're picking on detailers because we aren't. We have, you know, news in the last few weeks, somebody, you know, puts a cheap ceramic coating that's meant for Amazon on the market right? They do all this hype around it. You and I can see through it. Most detailers can see through it, but not everybody can see through it. At HyperClean, am I supposed to look and go, hey, Marty, you know, oh no, this competitor just did this and now we got to put cheap crap on the market. Well, no. I just keep doing what we're doing. We keep talking to our crowd that wants overbuilt, that wants to provide quality to their customer, that wants to do things a step above. That's who we're talking to. Those over there that are going to buy a, a, a quote-unquote coating that's not really ceramic, that is some kind of new thing, or they can't really explain it. It's just called a coat. We've all been here before. If I jumped at HyperClean every time and called you and said, man, somebody's releasing some cheap crap, Marty. We got to make a move. HyperClean would never be able to build itself. So if you look at it from the chemical perspective, all of you know how much crap is on the market. HyperClean can't consume itself every day with trying to quote unquote get competitive with somebody that's not even in our weight class. It doesn't matter the size of their company. Our weight class is quality. We're selling something completely different than somebody that's selling a $20 wheel cleaner. That ain't us. So we're not in the same class and we're not going to talk to the same people. And the same goes for your detailing business. If you think you're selling process, great, go sell it. But you also have to sell being on time. You also have to sell professionalism. You also have to sell uh, what your purpose is and why you're different. What sets you apart? It isn't that polisher, man. It isn't the way you hold it. It isn't, it isn't those things that you've spent all this time on. What it is, is, is this other overall thing that customers are looking for of, does this guy make or this gal make me feel comfortable that they're going to take care of my car on an elite level? So you mentioned that we take a look here and there. People send us stuff. Sometimes we're also just out scoming, scouring the, uh, the industry. Scoping. Scoping, yeah, different however ways. You scope, I scour, you know. There you go. One or the other. We do look around. We do check sometimes. And there's some people that go, you, you should never look at competition. You should only work on yourself and you only should work on your business. I'm going to ask you this question in a different way because I want people to think of the question in a different way. And I want everybody to understand why. You can look at your local competition, the guy down the street. You can scope, you can analyze, you can scour, whatever you want to do. Overall, though, Nick, should we be more concerned about bigger things that might happen? You know, it, I think you've got a really great uh, philosophy on competition with talent, competition with, uh, you know, processes, competition with, you know, skill set versus 
competition of trying to compete against a large bank account, competition of trying to compete against people, as you're saying, in a different weight class, in a sense, any detailers ever have a concern for, you know, those big companies that have started to come in with app-based companies that can sell details and service stuff or, you know, franchise of mobile detailers? Like, really where if somebody has a concern for competition, oh, the big boy? Is that a thing that maybe they should really be concerned about instead of the other guy down the street? Yeah, I don't I I think the biggest concern needs to be you know, you're never going to outpace the guy that has more money than you. You know, that's the whole take. Is if he's smart and he's got more money than you, he's going to beat you every time because money comes in. That's the biggest thing that gets left out of all of this training talk is how to build a bank account, how to leverage money, how to then move yourself to the next level. Uh, and it's too big of a uh, thing to talk about here, but what you're talking about are these, you know, we have them here in Vegas, obviously, because we're a big city, the, these companies that are put five, six, seven, ten 10 vans on the road, somebody will buy a franchise, it'll be highly organized, they'll be able to pay well, that they're, they're basically buying business in a box. And then they're relying that the operator that bought the franchise is a really great operator that's not even in the detailing industry, he's just looking at something he can make profitable. Yeah, that's a way bigger concern than some detailer that's just roaming around detailing cars because, you know, they could seemingly come in and take over a Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Because you put 10 trucks on the road in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you could wipe out how many mobile guys? I mean, you could wipe out a lot of them. If I rolled into to a, to a small middle-sized city and I had a million dollars in the bank, I could put a shop up five units on the road. I could take over PPF. I could take over ceramic coating. I could take over maintenance. That's, that's a bigger concern. But what, what people look at is I saw this guy running an ad. I can't believe he's doing it. And they just get caught up in it. And like I said, we deal with it at hyper clean all the time. Somebody did this. Okay, man, they're allowed to do it. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to really do about it? Am I going to call them and cuss out my competitor and go, Hey, I can't believe you did this. What's the real being aware of a club competitor is very different than being consumed by a competitor. And I think a lot of guys get into that. They're just all consumed about the price in their area being dictated by someone else. The price in my area is dictated by me. I charge what I want to charge because I've done the math. I know what value we provide. I run a good business. I couldn't tell you what another person around me charges. I've said that a thousand times on here. I had a call while, before we hopped on here about PPF. I didn't ask him who else he's called. I didn't ask him what price he was looking for. I told him how we do things. We booked the job. That, that's what we do. And I think people that get worried about competitors don't have a plan. And when you don't have a plan, you get real worried about all these little things. So you mentioned uh, something that I, I'm going to chase a little rabbit here because we've said it, I think, publicly once before, but you had a discussion with somebody that you enlightened me on, and this was somebody from outside of the industry that got into the industry, and he said one of the biggest things that is holding us back as an industry is actually that there hasn't been a massive amount of people coming in with large money. However, it has happened in some places with conglomerates, chemical companies buying up stuff. Yep. We can see it now with 
the emergence of some companies trying to do this national brand of, of service-based cleanings, you'll find that in other service-based companies, we can all look at a very easy one, body shops. You know, there's, there's these conglomerate yep. body shops that have started to, to go into cities now. You find this in other aspects. I mean, you see this in the, the detailing of dealership worlds where oh, they yeah. have an on-site conglomerates that go around. And those guys have 200, 300 dealerships. And the, it, the, yeah. the question about this part of it to me is, you know, it's hard to do what these companies are trying to do when you're dealing with entry-level blue-collar, right? And that's what you are when you're hiring a beginning detailer, right? And so if you have a truck, you need two guys in the truck minimum. One guy's going to be your leader. The next guy's going to be entry level. We're, we're seeing real cracks in the employment of entry level blue collar starting out positions. They're really kind of disappearing, right? Because companies are having to pay 20 plus dollars an hour and two guys sitting, sitting in a truck. That's what's going to hold the service-based stuff coming 20 bucks is probably what more people should be paying per hour instead of like 14 or 15. Oh yeah. I would, I would assume today, if you pay anything less than 20 bucks an hour, you're going to have pretty high turnover and 20 bucks an hour is going to get you high turnover. Um, I mean, it seems like that's where we're at. Don't, I don't know where everybody lives, but I, I can say that anybody that asks you and I, I, I always say we got warehouse workers starting out. <laughs> I mean, the world's changed, man. Like we can't control what the world is. If you want to know what's really behind a lot of inflation from companies, it's really because labor has gone up so sharply. There was no gradual rise up. It went from target was paying $12 an hour to 22 bucks an hour. I mean, damn near doubling overnight. Like there's nothing that we can do about that, but what's going to hold back these massive service companies coming in and taking over detailing is it's hard to find entry level people. They're still going to struggle with the exact same thing that we're struggling with. The difference is they could have the money to just make that not an issue, right? They could just market the hell out of it, crank the dollars up, pay everybody what they need to pay them. That's where money comes in handy, right? Uh, From a marketing and people standpoint, that's where money dominates the industry, any industry. And so, again, you go back to you need to be original. What are you bringing to the marketplace? What is unique about your detailing company? Because it's not the name of your company. It's not the processes that you have that people are going to find unique. It's going to be the experience from head to toe that gives them, this is what makes them different. And when I started doing what I was doing and what I'm still doing today, there wasn't a single person in Vegas doing it on my level. That's, that's what I stood out on. I, didn't do, I don't do business today like anyone else in the city of Las Vegas. Because what's the use of that? All right. So somebody listening to this is going to fall into one of two categories, right? They're going to fall into, they're either going to be the type of person that goes, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, huh? you know, but I really still want to just bitch about this other guy. There's going to be another person that understands competition could actually be something so much greater than who they could ever compete against. And they would just understand, um, listen, I, for you and me, we're, we're competitive in our own ways. There's part of me as a competitive person that I also like to understand that I'm going to compete at what I do best at. Something oh, yeah. internally, right? We keep looking at. So 
if I'm the guy that's starting to think about competition, right? I'm not going to blow it off and I'm going to think about competition. Then there's actually a healthy approach to thinking competitively, right? Let's, let me tell you this story. This weekend, right? We had a breakthrough at the house. This is one of those fun times because you got a kid that is constantly kicking a ball. It's wonderful. Kick the ball, go outside, kick it against the fence, kicks it randomly, right? And I go, hey, can you think you can kick that ball and make it up the slide? Do you think you could kick that ball and make it up the slide and step six feet back? Do you think you could actually kick the ball up the slide all the way from the other part of the yard? Starting to compete against himself to see if he could do an amazing task of getting the ball up the slide. When in your career, uh, is there something I know you mentioned earlier about, you know, your transition with, you know, as you began into real estate and you started to really then begin to kind of almost sense, you know, kind of pump your chest, feel good about it. But was there a part that you began to stop thinking about everybody else and just hone in on what you would do the best at? Yeah, I think for the most part, I've always operated that way, right? Like where I've just, I told everybody when I first got on this podcast, I wanted to make my first thousand, then I wanted to make five, then I wanted to make 10. And that's how I gauged everything. I never gauged. I think when you visited here in 19 at MTE was the first time I even knew some of my biggest competitors. They're like, Oh, that's so-and-so. I'm like, who? They're like, Oh, he's got a shop over here. But I'm like, yeah, I never heard of it. Um, I always just looked at, was my business profitable? What was I doing? Doesn't mean I didn't have scary moments. Doesn't mean I didn't see somebody's big shop and say, wow, this guy's got a big shop or whatever. I, I don't know that there's anything else you can do other than to say, I gauged everything by money because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know another way to gauge whether I was getting through to customers or I didn't look at a customer list and say, now we went from one customer to 10 customers. To 20. I didn't do that. I just constantly got up every morning, looked at my bank account, knew what I owed. and was just like, that was my competitiveness. My competitiveness was not anybody else. And even you can say this in hyper clean today. <clears throat> we don't gauge what we're doing on what everyone else is doing. We gauge on what we think is right for the people that believe in us. And we gauge whether our business is more successful by, Hey, do we have a bigger month than last month? Like think about how simplistic you and I are in the competitive nature of things. We know all these people exist, but I'll say something here that's going to hopefully resonate with a lot of guys. And it's going to ruffle feathers when I say this. MTE Orlando last year was a big moment for me because I, I wasn't there. We had the shop had just opened. I was behind. You remember that. I had some promises out to some clients and I had to take care of business. And so you and, and guys handled it, right? And you made it the greatest show for HyperClean. But I would get all these text messages from people from all across the industry going, wow, do you realize everybody here is kind of like copied Marty and what you guys are doing? So what are you talking about? Well, now everybody has a podcast here. I'm like, everybody's got a podcast. They're like, yeah, like at every booth. And they're like, I'm like, oh, man, that, that's fine. And then you got home and I got more texts and I got more phone calls. And I realized something in that moment that I'll say today. 
following what other people do just make you look corny. It doesn't give you any street cred. It doesn't magically mean that you're up to date. We've seen that in so many avenues that, you know, you go out there and pioneer putting a podcast at the show. That was unique to you because you wanted to do it because you saw value. When everybody else followed you, they didn't see the same value as a company. They got made fun of behind their back by, I can show you hundreds of text messages and give you another hundred phone calls I've had about how corny the behavior was. Now, I don't care what anybody does, but I know that everybody thought they were doing something special. So think about this. If you go to MTE this year and everybody's still copying one another, how does anybody stand out from one another? What it looks like is a bunch of followers, not a bunch of leaders and not a bunch of innovators. And you should judge people by that. Because the easiest way to figure out if somebody's doing things their way that can provide value to you is if they do stuff like everyone else does, then they're not really innovating for you. They're just copying what everyone else is doing. And it's corny behavior. And it's always been that way for me. I don't want my detailing business to appear like anyone else's because then what's special about mine? Why would a customer hire me? Like if I went to a show, you and I used joked about the first MTE I went to, I'm like, there's people here doing business like it's 1950. Like, this isn't even fun and entertaining. Like, you don't even want to talk to these people. And so it's interesting to me, and I want to relate it on both sides. Like, everybody can do what they want. But the customer always finds out if you're for real or not. And the, and the staying power are the guys that are for real, not the guys that are doing it because everyone else is doing it. Right. And that's what we hear too often from detailers. Well, this guy has that package. So I have it. It's like, man, now they don't know how to differentiate you. They don't know what makes you different because everything looks the same as the guy down the street. And I think that's where all of us can go wrong. And ultimately competition, a good, healthy, competitive nature should produce things like that. First for the industries, first out doing things because you're trying to excel not necessarily destroy the other or copy the other or pattern after other. But if you're a true competitor and you love to compete against yourself, creating ideas, figuring out how you can do things, how you can make moves, then you should then also have results that show it. Yeah. And that's right. Innovation is a great word. Are you an innovator or are you a copier? And that's really the two places you'll find most business owners. The guys that innovate make all the money and the guys that copy come and go. That's what happens. Uh, we could buy a cheaper bottle at HyperClean. Let me tell you, we bought the one that was right for our customers, our brand. Use our 16 ounce with our sprayer and tell me somebody else sends a qu higher quality bottle and sprayer out anywhere in the industry. They don't because we know the ones they send out. You know, the ones they send out. We did what was right for us. If a private investor came in and goes, hey, you know, we can cut costs, there's a bunch of places we can cut a corner at HyperClean. We just don't cut corners and use the same exact thing as everyone else because when you see our stuff sitting on our distributor shelves, one of them looks way different than the other and way more professional than the others. No offense, but why would I want every my stuff to look like everybody else's? What's the value in that? Customers can't pick us out. We got distributors all over the United States going to be opening up, you know, different parts of the world soon. Guess what? 
we stand out because we have this podcast and we talk a certain way and we handle ourselves a certain way. And maybe just maybe we're actually guys that have experience, not talk about having experience. Some of us made it through OA. Some of us failed. And now we teach. Right? This game, you're going to have to make a choice. And my choice was I'm going to stand and fail on my merits, not copying someone else's. There's got to be a sense of pride. You want to be the cornball in the group and do what somebody's already done, go do that. But you're not going to last. And so my detailing business has only succeeded because it looks vastly different than everybody else's. And they're succeeding because they look different than everyone else. We got guys succeeding here in Vegas besides me. And their business doesn't look like mine and vice versa. And they do things their way. And they're able to provide value to the customers that buy into them. If everybody was original, you'd be amazed how many, car, how many more cars would be getting detailed in every city and state rather than copying one another. It's the same thing. We'd be getting a lot more respect in the detailing chemical industry if everybody wasn't doing everything everybody else was doing. Like, you know, having a podcast at MTE all of a sudden. It's like, come on, man, don't be a cornball. And that's what I, these, I'm talking to our crowd. Our crowd that's succeeding, those guys are doing shit their own way. They're using hyperclean in the process, but it's their process, right? It's their advertising. It's the way they're doing things in their area. They're not doing business like VR. They're doing business like them. I mean, we got guys that have a body problem, not a get cars in the door problem. That's the coolest thing about doing things your own way is you don't have a volume problem. You got to, I don't have enough people to detail the cars problem. Speaking of mobile tech, I know that's starting to have some oh, yeah. rings around the industry and coming up here in what, about four or five months or so. It will be interesting now that you say that again. How many more are uh, going to be recording at mobile tech? Like it's. Oh, yeah. I mean, to them. Cornville, dude. I mean, it's, it's all right. Like I said, HyperClean will still be innovating. And then whatever we do this year, be a lot of people doing it the following year. That's all good, man. Like I said, and and look, that's why people struggle at SEMA. Walk around SEMA, which is a big show. What's that? It would be tough, right? It'd be tough to, what could you do different at SEMA? I mean, that would be tough. You got to just go bigger and bigger and bigger. And it seems like at SEMA before last year, right? I didn't go last year or like the, before all of the, you know, all that craziness of that Corona word. It just seemed like the the innovation was how much bigger could we go? More screens, more display. Yep. Like, so you're right. But then you had these small players. Uh, I'll just reference it to PPF. What they did was they started to bring people in in an innovative way of saying, hey, come test our stuff with one of our guys that uses it and put your hands on it and put your hands on a car and throw the film around and, you know, watch this technique and they bring in guest speakers and, so the funny thing is, is that you watch the people that innovated at SEMA last year, which I attended, those companies are on the upswing and the other companies are not folding, but having down years. So take it from the show and you can see the momentum all comes from the same idea of we're going to do it our way. We're going to make sure it's well thought out and it's based around our customer. But what you said is exactly right. 
a lot of them, more screens, more flash, more of this, more of that. Great. All of those people that didn't think through their booth down massively this year. And I can point you to two cut companies that did it totally different. Those companies are up massively. Think about that. That's just in film. I can explain to you why if we had, you know, another hour, but it's really simple. They did things their way. They provided value to the customers they were trying to talk to. If you do that in your detailing business, man, you're going to be in business forever for as long as you want to detail cars. But if you just are worried about, well, this guy's charging this, so I'm going to do that. Hey, man, it's over. You might as well just go find a gig. All right, Nick. Great talk, brother. All right, man. Discussion on Talk to you guys later. We'll see y'all next week. Hey, this is Marshall. What a fun discussion. Wow. You know what? I want you to take a look at when you think of competition and when you think of yourself being a competitor, what's your greatest strength? What do you have that makes you and your company the most unique? Whatever it is, you've got to really push that as hard as you can. As you just heard Nick talk about, your uniqueness is what is going to set you apart against the competition. How do you then continue on for so long? What does your journey look like focusing on what you do so amazing? What is it that's going to make it a determined success? Here's what I want you to think of. Your grit. You think you can make it, but what will get you there? What will get you to achieve? You know, you're imagining success how you want to imagine it. So as you're imagining your success of what you will be and what you want to achieve, what will get you there is your grit. And we want to be a part, helping you invest into your grit, invest into yourself. Come be a part of the Community Pub. It's every Wednesday night. It's 7.30 Central. Zoom ID is 918-800-1188. It's every Wednesday night. Come, be a part. It's Community Pub. Zoom ID, 918-800-1188. There you can find a place to help encourage and strengthen your grit. Strengthen your determination. Hey, this is Marshall. I hope you make it a great day.